we've started recording. So, hi everybody, and welcome to the Talking CX podcast. We are so glad you are joining us in this new year, and we are excited to bring you some new material. We've got some great guests, and we're going to jump right in and get started with our with our guest whose full name I have forgotten because <laughs> it's <laughs> no, you're, Scott, I'm so, so sorry. I know your name is Scott. I forgot your last name. Rewind, rewind that. <laughs> my wife forgets to call me by my name sometimes. <laughs> well, what is your last name? <laughs> it's Gilby. G-I-L-B-E-Y. Gilby. Scott Gilby. Scott Gilby. Okay, I'm going to start over. This is a good example of starting over. It's not as good. It's not as, as not as good as Allison, the IVR girl. You can remember oh her last gosh. name. And it's Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, your last name is a little complicated. You said, and you said, yes, Smith. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, me and last names. Okay. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Talking CX podcast. We are so excited to have everybody here in 2024. We're going to start the new year off with some great guests who are going to bring us some really wonderful insights into CX and what happens in real life, right? So we're going to we're going to call this episode Stories from the Frontline because our guest has experienced so many scenarios directly from the front line. His name is Scott Gilby. And Scott, I'm looking to you to introduce yourself. My understanding is that you have a book or soon to have a book. Is that right? That's right, Robin. That is absolutely correct. Um, my book is on the way. Um, I would love to say it's been published, but it's uh, let's just say it's on the way. And um, it will talk about um, the uh, kind of the matters or observations that we will cover today in the podcast. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, what can you give us a like a little summary? So because that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? Kind of the the kind of the high points that you want to make from that book, correct? So what inspired you to write that book? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, great question. Uh, what inspired me to write the book, uh, if I can go back to kind of the a few years back to the beginning of my current journey that I'm on, I'm on what I'm calling this frontline immersion. Uh, I have been fortunate through my career to have done a lot of cool things with a number of really cool companies, uh, large and small. Uh, I, right now, I, I don't know whether I'm semi-retired or looking for another my next gig, <laughs> but here I am uh, you know, post-COVID and uh, thinking back, I've got, uh, I've got this large set of experiences. I've worked in boardrooms, I've worked in frontline, I've worked in mid-management, I've done operation sales, uh, marketing, post or post integration, or sorry, post merger integrations, a lot of change management globally and such. And I had arrived in this area of customer experience in the in the latter years of uh, of, of that career progression. And um, so here I was post COVID, thinking, hmm, what can I do now? And 
do I do I look for a, a new job? Do I be a consultant? Do I go do something else? Do I just semi-retire? And a friend of mine in the CX world said, Scott, you keep talking about home renovations. You keep talking about companies you admire, like Home Depot. And you keep talking about this frontline experience gap, which most customer experience uh, people talk about. Um, why don't you think of combining those three things? And I thought, that's a cool idea. So uh, that conversation was on a Thursday. And by Tuesday of the following week, I was on the schedule at the local Home Depot at the service desk. And yeah, and we, and we go from there. So I was thrilled. I remember the day I first put on my orange apron. I've got a picture of it, of myself in the lunchroom, tickled pink that I was at this place where I thought I would be some years later when I was in full retirement. Um, and off we went. So, um, and, and then I, so I spent some really good time at, at Home Depot, started making some observations about this experience gap. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it just blossomed from there. So now I don't have a single observation. I have dozens and dozens. Uh, I've done some social media posting and talking to uh, some folks and I've, uh, and I've, I'm heavily into this book that I'd like to create that will, uh, that will share a number of my observations and what to do about, uh, this experience gap that I now found myself living in, not just talking about. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, maybe I can jump. Maybe I can jump in, Robin. I mean, so Scott is part of our um, Florida CXPA network leadership team, also, and so I've been kind of observing this journey he's been on for the last two years. And I mean, what really excites me is that when when people talk about customer experience, whether they're executives or they're consultants or you know, they're they're generally talking concept, they're talking strategy, they're talking experience design, but experience doesn't actually happen in the boardroom or in the C-suite or the V-suite or even the D-suite for directors. Um, it happens on the front line. And, and I think the gap between what people think is happening or think should happen and what does happen it occurs everywhere. By the way, it occurs in our personal lives, right? We all have a hundred <laughs> things we could do better. Um, and so I think what's different about Scott is that he's taken the opportunity that he has, because there is a little bit of a kind of, you know, life thing there where you people can do it, um, to really kind of jump in and start uncovering, um, you know, some of those real world things, not, not from the perspective of criticism, but from the perspective of kind of understanding and raising awareness. And if you look at the you know, the CX movement all up globally, you know, there's a huge wide open gap in terms of information about the front line. And while we've seen people over the years do, you know, observation studies, I can remember doing those in the 1980s in retail stores. Um, you know, that is not the same thing because people don't behave in their normal way when somebody's looking at them with a clipboard or an iPad today. Um, so I think actually immersing yourself and being one of the frontline team members and working with them and living that living that experience and living that team experience with the people around you and your associates um, is a phenomenal thing. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a huge gap in the customer experience movement that we don't have more information. So I'm, you know, manically excited about what it is that Scott's been doing and, and, uh, you know, whenever the, the book should occur, um, I think it's going to be a, you know, a pretty important um, tome in the overall, you know, customer experience management journey globally. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And I don't 
pretend to be more strategic or more visionary or more able to select and use technology or build culture or manage change. I don't pretend to do any of those things any better than any other CX or non-CX business person. Um, I just feel that uh, I was doing those things those things previously, and it was me in the boardroom, or not in the boardroom as such, but on the executive team building strategies and talking about how we you know, build an organization, job descriptions, numbers of people at each branch and what technology and who uses it, et cetera. And, and then this lingering thought of this gap. So uh, my premise is a couple things. One is um, I'll say this over and over again, in case this gets lost, as we talk about some negative things on these observations, all these brands I've worked with, I love, uh, I loved them before they went there and I still love them. And I'm still with, um, I'm still with uh, a couple of them that I'll mention and I love them all. They're fantastic. They're leaders in their field. In fact, they're not just leaders in their field, but leaders generally. Um, I also want to accept that uh, companies already have enough strategy. <laughs> they already have enough vision. They have all, enough of all these things. And uh, to, to Graham, to your point, I, I think I can point out a few. And they're going to see they're going to seem very teeny weeny insignificant things. Um, but as they add up, I, I, I think there is something that we can do. Um, and I'm, and I'll, my very first observation, as an example, was, and I did a post on this called Peril of the Pen. So here I was in my orange apron. Um, first thing I did was a week-long uh, sit-down watching LMS videos. Uh, you have to tick off all the boxes before you can go to, get out on the floor. And I find myself out at the service desk and within the first few days, I'm, I'm thinking, hmm, sometimes I run into trouble out here. And when I run into trouble, it's often because I don't have a ballpoint pen in my pocket. I can't write things down. Customer says, can you do this? And you have to write something and you can't. And it's, it's almost seemingly insignificant. And I would never imagine a board of directors would talk about equipping their frontline with ballpoint pens. But in fact, um, as a new employee, if I let go of my pen, I couldn't do my job. And as I would see new other new employees uh, come on board, because the turnover is pretty high, so you get a lot of new employees. There are kids, um, experienced people, retired people, all alike, patting on their pockets, looking around the desk all day long for a ballpoint pen so they can write down a note. Uh, to give to a customer, write down a password to get into their own uh, profile on the cash register, et cetera. And, and the pen for me became my very first, what the heck? How, 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 can, how can I be shut down? How can I be totally shut down because I don't have a pen? And, uh, and, and, yeah, and, and guess what? That, re- that repeats itself. Um, and such a simple, inexpensive fix. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, totally, and it, and it's also a proxy for some other things as 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 well. And in the prelude to our our uh, podcast here, Robin, you had asked me what expectations I had going into this frontline thing, and I I, I, I need to say I didn't have any. I was just curious. I wanted to get out there, and I'm thinking how how can I this executive MBA engineer sales you know, sense of time some week long events at, at Harvard and. How, how can this person be worried about a ballpoint pen? And it's because it's in that experience gap. It's one small thing. Um, and, then, um, and, and, then, and then we go from there. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that, you know, certain things 
have cropped up over and over again across the different companies that you've worked for. So is there a way that you would categorize some of these issues? There sure is, Robin. There, there, there sure is. And, um, and this is this will be uh, kind of three sections, uh, or 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 certainly not to chapters, more than chapters of my of my book and my writing and my thinking. There are there are three categories where I can easily bundle all these these different kinds of observations that I've seen that are feeding the experience gap, and they fall into its familiar vocabulary. The first is competence, and I mean by that as a frontliner, I want to be competent. I want to be seen to be competent. When a customer arrives at the uh, at, at the, the service desk or the ticket counter at the airport, I want to be able to look after them and I want to be perceived to be expert, perceived to be uh, extending the brand. And if, if I can't do, base, do the basic things that are expected of me there, I'm not competent. Forget strategy, forget vision, forget all this. Kind of, I, I'm just... Uh, and, the, and consistently across all of my frontline gigs, I um, I need to learn the basic task of my role in front of the customer. I might have watched a video on how this thing works, but when I'm uh, trying to do a special order at the, at the big box retailer or check in a bag or look for a lost bag at the airport or arrive at a school and uh, and get to the classroom on time and understand who all the kids are going to be when i need to do those things without exception every single time i do an important simple task i'm learning it on the fly in front of my customers and that's another uh the key key observation um, that flows into this area called competence and the, th- the next one is uh, is supervision i want to talk about that a little bit and the third one is data not systems but data um, yeah. So those are the three, uh, competence, supervision, data. Yeah. Well, let's start with competence then, if you don't mind, because that sounds like, it actually sounds like a very interesting category. I don't know if you want to share names of the companies you worked at, but some of the issues that kept reoccurring within that category and, you know, some of the stories that you can't, that, that you have from those times and, what kind of solutions or conclusions did you draw from that on what are solutions and are they all as simple as the pen? Because I love that as a, as, as just this beautiful, simple fix that no one thought of until you came along. Yep. Well, yeah, well, well thank you for that. Yeah. Um, there, I, I think some of these things that I'll share are, are simple to describe, but not necessarily simple to fix because it takes uh, a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of human inertia, culture inertia, in all of these companies. And I'll say again, they're all fantastic companies. Let me just let me just uh, round out that part of the story that talks about these different brands. So I loved my time at Home Depot, great company, fantastic. And then I had an opportunity. Uh, I was I was um, I had been knocking at the door of uh, the Delta Airlines headquarters for for, uh, for something in Atlanta, a roll up in Atlanta, and uh, that was just chugging along. Um, and then I thought, Hey, frontline, boom, let's try that. So next thing you know, I, uh, I was thrilled that they hired me as a seasonal 
customer service service agent at the airport. So I work the baggage counter when the bags come in, you know, down by the luggage um, carousels. Uh, I work the ticket counter, and occasionally I work the gate. So those those three main areas of the airport. Loving that totally. What a great great company. What a great great brand. Um, and that was seasonal. So when that came to an end in, the, in my first spring, I said, hey, okay, well, I was at Home Depot. That was cool. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Ace Hardware. So Sunshine Ace Hardware is the local um, family-owned uh, co-op of a number of Ace Hardware stores. I found myself there, thrilled with that as well. Uh, they are really customer-centric. They you know, Ace the Helpful Place and, and love that as well. And so this is my third... My third game, I thought, here we go again. Um, where's that pen? Ace happened to have, <laughs> have a, a huge stack of pens at every register, which was which was interesting. Um, and and three times now, I'm saying, I'm thinking, Robin, here I am. I've been onboarded three times. Each time, it's a week of video, uh, hundreds of clips and snippets of video. Every time, uh, half of it is let's just say non-productive. And every single time a supervisor would say, just get through it as fast as you can. Just click through. Um, And every single time, it's not about helping me be competent in front of the customer. It's helping me be compliant with uh, a lot of the important aspects of those roles that we need to be. Um, And this is where I started thinking, this this whole competence thing, I want to be competent. These brands are trying to help me be competent, but they're not really. They're just making me sit and watch all these videos. And then on the floor, if I have trouble, and this leads to the next category, supervision, if I have trouble and I go to my supervisor, um, I don't always get the result that one would expect from great brands. And then I realize this is the same in a lot of places. And where I go for help is not my supervisor. I go to my peers. I go to, I look sideways. I don't look up for help when I need to know how to log in, how to do an order, um, how to do the basic things to satisfy the customer who's right in front of me, looking at me, wondering why I can't order a two by four because I don't know how. And again, I go sideways, I go to my peer. And that, so these are consistent things that are now, I mean, hang on a second, <laughs> this is, how, how can this be? So, um, so they typically do not have programs where you would shadow someone or kind of run through, you know, some of these different tasks before you have to be on the floor? I think these companies do a better job of that than many others. Um, and if you ask anybody in the boardroom, they'll say, of course, we have shadowing programs because they see that vocabulary kicking around. And and I was one of those who used that vocabulary. But now I'm, uh, now I'm at the front line and I'm trying to shadow somebody. And it's uh, it, it's it 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 doesn't happen in the way that you can imagine it ought to happen. Um, um, yeah, tag along with someone for for today, and that's all good. It happens. Is is there a is there a is there a job checklist? Yeah. Um, is it used in a disciplined way? Eh, not always. Right. So again, I want to be careful. These brands are, are leading in that particular area, um, but it is one consistent, consistently um, underused 
part of developing a new employee. Um, and I'll say too that um, so that's those are three brands, and there are there are uh, three others I need to, or a couple of others I need to throw out there that I've that I've, that I've observed. One is I had um, I wasn't a customer, but I was a long term patient over a year and a half during this time of uh, foot surgery. Uh, so I was in and out of the, the surgeon's office, the hospitals, and in and out of physio clinics uh, for a very long time. And I had deep conversations with their frontline people. Guess what? Same thing. Same thing. Um, the, 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 the new person at the, at the checkout register at the, at the clinic, uh, similar, same as me at the service desk, uh, wasn't able to do basic things that you would expect them to be able to do. And in those situations, you know, when you were sitting there and struggling to do an order or something else or a refund or something the customer needed, and they're standing right there looking at you, are there what did you feel was the root cause of that? And were you, th- you know, did it, it occur to you at the time or later, like, hey, I wish that this had happened, or I wish I had had this tool or something like along those lines? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, Robin. And now, enough, I guess for the, you know, for this part of the conversation, it doesn't matter which brand. Um, uh-huh. These, these, and also the, and, and now I'm, 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 I'm also a guest part-time teacher at Collier County Public Schools. Fantastic, fantastic entity, fantastic school board. And they have fan, just great, great, great uh, teachers and facilities and, and resources and such. I just want to add that one as well because I've got six reference points now with fantastic companies. And so when I, when I make my next point, it doesn't matter which of these six because I had the same experience, same experience everywhere. And when I talk to colleagues or other frontline people, they'll say, yeah, that happened to me at, and they'll name other companies where that happens. So what's the cause of me, uh, a competent person, being hired by a brand and finding myself uh, unable to serve a customer, whether it's to place an order uh, or direct them to where they sh- where they should go or need to log into a system to get the answer? I don't have a login. Or get this, um, three of, actually three, four um, of these, in these experiences, four of them have different softwares. So whether it's a big retailer um, or airlines or, or any medical clinic you might even go to yourself, uh, they likely have uh, legacy software. It might even be DOS, if you can believe it. And it might be something more uh, Windows-based based. And there will likely be some employees who can use one or the other and a few who can use both. And that is, that's been a consistent theme across uh, being able to be competent and in, in, in different systems and getting help from supervisors. Um, so that's puzzling. So you could do two things. You could completely, and I would never suggest this, well, you need one system across the globe. Well, that's just that's just not going to help things by tomorrow. Um, but what we can do is firstly understand that there are these different systems, understand that uh, a particular frontline role, a, 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 a person who needs to log into one or the other, get some practice doing that and getting to the right screen, the right data, um, the inventory data, where do I find that? Uh, if I need to change an order, redirect it, redirect it, or put a passenger on a different flight, how do I do that? Where can I practice that in a safe place, Robin? And that's the, 
and and that's I think what's missing from this whole thing of of shadowing and LMS and trade. I need to be able to practice the ten or so things that I need to be good at. Um, you know, when I'm serving a customer. Well, that makes total sense. I know for me, I can watch videos or classes or whatever, but until I actually open up a particular piece of software and actually do the things, right, I am not really going to know, like, until I get hands-on experience. And I think, I think a lot of people have exactly learn exactly that same way through, through hands-on experience. Of course. Yeah. And it's, and you're right. And I think that's well known in any adult education world or textbook or class um, getting to it and learning in a tactile way. That's, that's not a surprise. Of course, that's how we learn. But for some reason at the front line, there's no time for that. It's not, it's not baked into the culture or the equation of the time. Uh, You just, you just, you just, you just hopefully figure it out. And this so here I am without a pen, without a password. I don't know how to find inventory. Um, it's it's 5 to 6 p.m. and there's nobody else in the store who can help me process this, what should be simple order. Um, I, I'm at, I, I, or I'm the person behind the counter that's trying to print uh, at the clinic, trying to print off some basic information for the patient. Can't do it, can't do it. And, and, and the result is um, I'm frustrated as an employee. I'm, I, might already be thinking of quitting. Um, the customer's perplexed. And what should be easy, unstressful moments for the employee and the customer, what should be easy and unstressful become not easy <laughs> and stressful. And and I'm, as even describing these things, I'm thinking, that's crazy. It's crazy. All these brands are, are looking for ways to improve their customer experience, to reduce uh, attrition of employees and put more money to the bottom line. And, and, and here we are. Yeah, here, here, here everybody is. And it sounds like a universal experience. Um, Graham, what is your takeaway on, on hearing this? I mean, it's, I mean, I think that the stories, the anecdotes, the, the kind of real world examples are always intriguing. I think, I think the big, the big, I say the big challenge, right, is going to be how do, how do organizations use the knowledge to to do something about it? And I think a lot of the problems you're describing, Scott, come from you know what I would call good intentions, right? Over the years, I mean, I, I think of twenty five years of business improvement, which is probably where the pens went. <laughs> some some <laughs> consultant twenty five years ago probably decided they could save ten million dollars if they eliminated little boxes of pens in every place. Um, and they claim that as a big win, and some executive claimed it as a big win. Um, <laughs> but I think I think the question is, you know, when you're when you're looking at, at you know at these at these learnings, I think the the question for organizations is going to be how do you how do you how do you take this information? Firstly, identify what is the impact because because I'm quite quite sure. I mean, I have a a friendly local retailer. I won't mention who they are, and and they're. Their customer, their front, their front office customer experience is exactly what you describe. It's always a mess, right? And and it's kind of a point of humor amongst the customers because <laughs> you've got customers going around the other side of the desk helping the new employee to figure out how to do their job because the customer's been around longer than the employee, um, you know. And so <laughs> I've been behind their desk and done tech support on their desktop PCs. <laughs> um, so it's like it's like 
but it's but it's kind of a bonding thing. I'm not quite sure anybody would design a business that way, but I wonder I wonder if you've got any thoughts um you know as we come to a close maybe in terms of so so this is all very interesting but I'll say so what. Yeah, yeah. Um and I might just take uh, uh 30 seconds here and throw in some other uh kind of uh, topics that I've observed. One is one is silos. Silos exist everywhere. Um, and one is between the morning and the afternoon shift. You can go in the morning, go back to the same place in the afternoon, have a totally different experience. Um, the, uh, I just read a book called the, uh, the abuse of customer. It's fantastic. Um, uh, I believe life is a bell curve in any of these businesses or airports. The, 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 the truly abusive customers that hit the social media virally, they're few and far between. Most people are really pleasant. Uh, so if, if you look at the bell curve, you're an extreme tail of, of, uh, of abusive, uh, oh, sorry, of the number of customers. However, the things that drive that behavior are in the middle of that bell curve and, and they're, they're ready to, to burst. And it's often, in fact, I would say now almost always driven by the things we've already talked about. A frustrated customer and an embarrassing employee and not take, not controlled properly. It leads to, leads to abusive behavior. So you got that and you got, I got to mention silos. You got this whole onboarding thing. The, the LMS re- relates to how quickly can you hire a, an employee and make them competent, make them feel competent, make them actually competent, et cetera, et cetera. Empathy. You can have a, a very empathetic brand. Some of these brands do a lot of cool stuff in the community. They're, they're leaders in the world of how they help people. Um, and their their people that they hire on the on the floor, their supervisors are great people. But that does that doesn't make them a great supervisor or an empathetic supervisor. So there's just a litany of specific topics. And you say, Graham, okay, now what? Now what? And um, I don't have the answer. I certainly do have an answer. And um, and that's part of uh, part of my writings, which is okay. Now now what? And there's no magic one size fits all. It is a matter of saying, okay, maybe there's something here. Where you know. If, We've been, you know, even the whole NPS thing, scoring and interviewing and surveys. And if you sit with with uh, some business leaders, we, we often come to the same conclusions that all these things need to improve. So I'm just suggesting, Graham, uh, to answer your question is slow down, um, stop looking. I would say set aside your strategy for the moment, assuming it's good. Set aside your discussions of culture, assuming it's good, assuming you know what you want it to be. Set aside your your North Star vision, assuming you already have one. And let's let's go out on the floor and uh, and see what's going on. Um, and I just happen to have this unique view where I can be the frontline employee and I could help um, uh, help with uh, seeing things in a, in a, in a different light. Um, so that's, that's part of what the next, what, what the solution is, is to, is, is maybe get some help. And, and like, when you go to the doctor, this hurts and the doctor is able to diagnose in 30 seconds. And you say, hang on a second, I have a five minute story I want to tell you. And the doctor's already diagnosed the problem because he's got some experience. Yeah. I think, I think you have, I think you have something else, which I would, I would point out and you probably wouldn't. And that is that, it's you use the word empathy, right? So, um, it, you you are li- you are a living example of demonstrating empathy for the front line. I, I would argue that most, okay, a significant number, maybe not most, whatever. Most consultants, for example, 
have no interest in the front line. They have their eyes clearly set on the CEO, right? Yep. Because that's where the big money is, if we're being you know specific about it. Um, I think what you're doing is you're showing that your belief system is that there's something different going on and, and, and people will step up and talk about that kind of thing, but to have gone, to have committed to what you've committed to, it really demonstrates a belief system, which I think is, is, as I said before, foundational to this, you know, movement that I've certainly sat in for the last 10, 15 years, um, this customer experience management. I, I think, I think you sometimes under underestimate what it is you're bringing to this and how important it is. And, and that's, that's why I'm certainly so excited for this conversation and for the, you know, the, 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 the journey that you're on and, and the, you know, the information that you're going to be able to share in the marketplace over the next few years. Well, thank you, Graham. I, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I respect your, uh, your uh, expertise and standing in the CX and business community. And, and thank you. I'm flattered. Um, um, I might add, uh, I'm just going to add that I, I, in, in three of these places, three of them, I've been accused of being undercover boss. <laughs> You're from headquarters, aren't you? And, and, and there were rumors afoot that I was, uh, I was, <laughs> I was from headquarters. And of course I wasn't, I said, I'd love to be, but I'm not. Um, and I, and I, I think I would flip undercover boss on its head and say, I'd rather be undercover employee, show up in the boardroom and be the undercover employee and be able to say, hang on guys, that's not the way, that's not what's going on. You think that's what's going on, but it's not. I was going to say that you've maybe created a, a new category of consultant here. Seriously. Um, I don't know that that many companies have considered that if they really want to know what's going on on the front line, that Maybe they could hire some a consultant specifically just to go through the processes and do exactly what you've done and kind of write their observations and recommendations and all of that, just like you were doing. That's a good idea, good idea Robin. Thank you. That's uh, that, that could well be part of the uh, part of the answer or the solution to this thing. Um, hey, but my contribution is going to be this this darn book that I've got to get off my get out of my brain and more into my desk and get into get get, get published. And uh, and and Graham, thanks for your excellent suggestion. I'll get that synopsis out shortly, and we'll go from there. Perfect. Awesome. Can't wait. All right. Well, thank you. Scott, we really appreciate you coming in here and sharing your experiences on the front line. Um, is there another frontline story that you have in mind that you'd like to leave us with? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Hey, let me, let me throw one out because surveys and observations and Graham, I actually wrote the word observation. You, you mentioned that at the very get go of this conversation. Um, doesn't matter which company, um, this was at, and, and this actually happened. I was interacting with the customer. Uh, the supervisor was observing me interact with the customer. And when, uh, when I was finished <clears throat> and I thought I was, I thought I was putting my best self out there um, because I was actually dealing with three customers. I had, uh, I had, I had two physically in front of me that, that there was some, um, uh, there was asynchronous time between them. One had to go off and look on their phone for something. One had to do something else. And then the phone rang. I answered the phone. So I had three customers I was interacting with this, uh, simultaneously and, and did whatever I was supposed to do for all three. 
And then when it was all done, <clears throat> the uh, supervisor said, Scott, I was observing you and you blew it. I said, pardon? You, you blew it. Oh, did I really screw up? Yep. Well, what did I, what did I fail to do? You failed to ask for a survey. That customer, that one, was obviously thrilled with their, the experience they just had. And we need good surveys. You didn't ask for one. Don't do it again. How's that? How's that for a zinger? Hey, talk, talking of talking of talking of zingers. Um, oh. Since you mentioned the book, and I know we're kind of wrapping up. Um, so many moons ago, back in 2021, which may have been BC before COVID or the beginning, I can't remember. It's all about. Um, we uh, we chatted to a guy by the name of Jeff Sheehan, who's a kind of mover and shaker in the CX movement, who just yes. was in the process of relocating from Ireland back to the United States, um, and I just published a book, which is the point. So so here's my commitment to you: if you actually get the book out, I'll buy. 25 or 30 copies and give them away to a bunch of people and then maybe we'll get you back and we'll have a roundtable discussion of so what do you people think of the book right fantastic bring it to a kind of close the loop as they like to say in the professional world fantastic thank you Graham. you're on and i think every book should come with a pen <laughs> yes <laughs> That's a Beautiful. good idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, and a cup full of empathy if you could fit that in there somehow. No, no, I just love the pen. That's perfect. Does that mean Amazon are going to send me a pen when I buy it on Kindle? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to end with a positive note. That story about the that, that observation and you blew it is absolutely true. Absolutely true. More often, I leave fulfilled with my interactions with my peers. I look sideways. I get help. I, I have never, ever had another frontline employee turn me down for help ever or, or, um, uh, or anything. It's I, so, uh, you know, we're, we're focusing on what things need to be fixed here, but there's a lot going right. And, and that's one of the great people in a lot of places. Um, so thanks to all my frontline peers, especially who helped me get through the day. All right. Thank you, Scott. And thank you everybody for being here. And we will be back with another podcast. Um, in the next few weeks or so. And we appreciate you listening. Um, if people want to con contact you, Scott, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably the best way is LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. Um, I've got some other things going on, but LinkedIn. Okay. We'll include your, your link in the, in the show notes there. So thank you so much, everybody. And until next time, do CX right. And do it right now. All right. Thank you all.